I'm going to just go ahead and say this is one of my favorite stories from Ed Hensley's uh, growing up. And I, I asked him for permission to. <laughs> That's right. I did say I wasn't. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, usually I, I ask people, and uh, with Ed, I said, I won't say who it was. Sorry, Ed, that's just off. Um, so Ed grows up in this uh, small, he was saved through uh, the ministry of a church and a significant uh, elder in, in a church in southern Indiana, and, and uh, walks out of high school one day, and I guess this was a sort of commonplace that there at a table set up outside at the parking lot um, is is some men representing the KKK, recruiting. And uh, so Ed, being with uh, one of his his buddies, they, they had tended to kind of pull off pranks and things. Decided, wouldn't it be funny if one of us distracts them and kind of talks to them, and the other goes and pulls their hoods off? And so Ed was the distracting one and was like dismayed and even devastated that when the hood came off of one of these men, he's staring face to face with his pastor. How how devastating can that be? How like shocking and shaking can that be? And and to 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 that that elder's credit who led Ed to Christ and discipled him when Ed went to him and said, you know, I, I can't believe this just happened. He said, really? I got to make a phone call. You should go on. Well, that pastor wasn't there in the pulpit that, that coming Sunday. But how, how devastating when a leader's personal life or their, or their beliefs can be so contrary to the gospel. To, to the reconciling, redeeming, restoring work of the gospel. Jesus said, said as much when he warns a crowd about teachers who weren't walking their walk. When he says in Matthew two, 23 verse 3, So do and observe what they tell you, but do not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. At no point is it acceptable for a church leader to say, do as I say, not as I do. From the very start of a person's taking any form of leadership, they must be formed into a leader from the inside out. That's what leads to integrity. So just looking here at our passage, uh, we are joined back into 1 Timothy 3, and if, if you see in your bulletin here, this, this uh, outline comes from the Bible Project. This is an excellent resource. You could actually go to their website, I think it's thebibleproject.org. You could watch a video of this whole drawing being drawn out as they explain the book of 1 Timothy. It's, it's an excellent resource. But, but here we are down at the bottom of this section it's, it's titled The Instructions for Ephesus Part 1, uh, where uh, it is um, speaking to leadership, speaking to leadership in the church, leadership issues in the church, specifically counseling Timothy as he installs and instructs leaders in the church. And we read last week about elders as what we call shepherds at harvest. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. 
Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And he goes on to explain what it means to be above reproach there. To aspire means to stretch oneself out in order to touch or to grasp something, to reach after, to desire something. And the emphasis here is on the noble task that it is to seek to be uh, one who impacts so greatly the body of Christ as to be uh, their servant leader. And last week, along with certain vital signs that all Christians should have, we read about that it says he being, talking about elders or shepherds, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And verse 7 closes up saying, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. God's shepherds must be godly in their public relationships that depend on him. And a man's preparation takes place in his private life and in his private relationships. He's to look at, at whether he's a blessing in his most intimate of relationships as well as in his relationships with those that he's not very intimate with, his neighbors, his, his acquaintances. And just as we saw last week with shepherds at, or elders at harvest, servants are formed from the inside out. And this morning, I hope to, that you see the way that we believe that the church should be developing leaders through ministry and the fact that these qualifications represent also many of the vital signs that all of us should be growing in. These are not describing super Christians or somebody that's strangely prepared for leadership or prepared for servant ministry in the church. It's describing the vital signs that we all should be improving in as we grow. And so we pick up in verse 8 where it says deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. The term deacon means service in itself. It means service. It means to be like Christ. As Christ himself said in Matthew 20, instructing the disciples in how they should serve one another, and he says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Martin Luther King Jr. said, everyone can be great, because everyone can serve. Deacons are, are what we call servants or members of our servant team here at Harvest. Just as, as we describe our elders as shepherds, we want to have functional titles. We want to have titles that, that, that get through the Christianese of our culture and remind us of what we should be doing. And the idea of elders or deacons serving in the church alongside of each other was common in the early church. You can read, read in the very beginning verse of the book of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers or, or elders and deacons. You know, we... We want our, what we have as a servant team 
to be there to serve the body of Christ. One, through providing for certain ministry areas to continue on, to take place. Okay, I don't mean to embarrass some guys, but, you know, like Brian Norris oversees the ministry area of hospitality on a Sunday morning. Mike Chalmers oversees building maintenance here at Harvest. Uh, Roger Johnson and Charlie Rushing, they oversee that odd jobs team and, and so on. So, so they're providing for ministry to be able to be done, and, but also to provide opportunities for other harvesters to be involved in those ministry areas. And I, I'll just tell you that this is, the, this is the aspect of that that's the hardest to get them to do. Why? Because typically servants want to do, want to serve. But if you want to be involved in a ministry area, we actually have a... a kind of pitiful bulletin board out in the hallway that could explain to you, okay, this is the person I contact to get involved, to, to find out how to be a part of that. It continues on in verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, as far as if this term, wives, should be interpreted wives of deacons or women in the church, or some would even go as far as to say deaconesses, this is like the... It's a tie as far as interpreting this, okay? Uh, the New American Standard interprets it women. The ESV interprets it wives, you know. Um, but, but so it's really like um, up in the air as far as if this is talking about wives or women or deaconesses in the church. So you'll see um, how I uh, deal with that here. But first... We are challenged here to measure men's ministry by their integrity. To measure men's, the ministry of men by their integrity. Uh, again, this is not just to be what we, uh, the pulse that we take or the blood pressure that we take of specific men in the church. These are describing vital signs that we should all have good representations of. But specifically, if those are going to serve in leadership roles in the church, they need to be progressing and improving and, 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 and showing a good history in these areas. The qualifications for an elder and deacon, they really don't differ much in these passages. The major difference between them is that a shepherd is to be able to teach. And, and as we talked about last week, I take that to mean doctrinal soundness in their understanding of the scriptures, rather than giftedness. As Paul tells Titus in Titus 1.9, speaking about elders, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So at Harvest, we believe that men are prepared to possibly be shepherds by how they shepherd their family well, by how they shepherd a small group well, by how they shepherd a ministry area well. And, and, and what he, he describes here is a man of integrity. You know, physical integrity, 
And the physical integrity of an object means the state of being whole or undivided. Being consistent from one side to the other all the way through. If, if you wanted to check on the integrity of a metal or an alloy, I would suppose that they would, would take a, a cross-section cut of that I-beam or something and make sure it's consistent all the way through. You, have you ever seen a, a road being built and there's a guy, maybe a foreman or something, he's got a little box and he's going and laying it down on the road and going over here and laying it down. He, uh, some sort of like taking a sounding or something, and somebody else could explain that to you better, of that road to make sure it's consistent all the way through. There's not an air pocket in there, or there's not a spot that's just going to become a pothole eventually. Somebody didn't do that well over at the Crawfordsville Square. It's like going through a war zone right now. But Character integrity is about being honest and having strong moral principles from the inside out. It's not being two-faced or acting one way to one person and different to another. And understanding that integrity means the, the inside matching the outside. We look at the servant's behavior. It says they, they should be dignified. And this is summed up in being, or dignified sums up this, these terms, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonor gain. The being dignified doesn't mean snooty. Okay, uh, I like the way the NIV translates it, worthy of respect. Not because of their title, but because of their character. Not having to depend on the title for respect. It may be that Paul's words here is to correct the deacons in Ephesus for leaning on their title for respect rather than their whole, all of their reputations. There'd be not double tongue. This, this literally means dialogos, two messages coming from their mouth. Saying one thing and meaning another and making different representations to different people about the same thing. This is especially important as men need to be trustworthy, carrying more responsibility in their lives, in their involvement with God's body. Many times the only evidence of a person's thoughts is what they say. And their words need to be true to their thoughts. Someone's statements may seem very small, but Luke 16, 10, Jesus reminds us, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful and much. And then he goes to their words. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If he sent a text to the wrong person, would it end up showing his true colors? You know, we all do that. If you, if you text, it's like, oh, that was supposed to go to somebody else. Would it be like, oh, man, I can't believe they're asking me to do this, or I can't believe this or that. And be, you know, Would you read it and be like, oh, I didn't know that's how you really felt. And this brings us to the importance about his being honest about his faith. It says they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The, this mystery is describing the gospel. As, as Colossians 1.27 speaks of it in, in saying the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. A servant of the church must have a firm grasp of the gospel. It's not just lip service. It's not simply claiming to have faith. We don't have any x-ray vision for faith. 
But he must see that God's spirit, as Romans 8.16 tells us, God's spirit is testifying to his spirit that he is a child of God. And being honest about that. And we move to a man's faithfulness. Being looked at it as, this is what's being looked at here as we are encouraged to examine his track record. Let them be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. There's no this like, hey, you know, so-and-so hasn't been a deacon or so-and-so hasn't served on the servant team yet. We should really put him on there. To be blameless means remaining unaccused. No one is asking him, He's holding an office of ministry at your church? Really? A shepherd or an elder is expected to to be able to stand without legitimate accusation, being above reproach. And in the same way, a servant of the church shouldn't behave questionably in or outside of the church. And the Ephesians are told that deacon's ministry shouldn't be left to chance. And we see service in the church as how God develops and prepares and proves leadership. The question we ask is, is a man being obedient and faithful and working with integrity with where God has given him opportunity to serve? In his family, in his small group, in his servant team, in ministry area. Don't forget, harvesters, we should all be taking our temp or, or, or taking our pulse here because these are vital signs that we should all have. But they should be excellent in those that God has to serve in an in a, in a office, if you will, in his church. And the next question is, would his family say the same thing of him? It says, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. This is perfect proving grounds for integrity, right? As is the case with the position of elder or, or shepherd or overseer, as we looked at last week, a servant's family life is a key vital sign of his heart. And he must be a man who is faithful to his wife, one partner sexually, one partner emotionally. And as we've seen written of as, as shepherds earlier, a servant of the church is to be a good manager of his home. Again here, the idea is that of the ministry of the father to his family is not different from what he, a man should be to his church. So it's not that a man should, should switch gears in how he's living when he becomes a servant or a shepherd in God's church. Instead, his, his ever-important role of being a servant leader in his position of a father, is a proving ground for being a servant leader in God's family. You know, I drove by a house um, on 47, and I was reminded, uh, you know, it's being rebuilt. And, and here this house sat for, for months, and if you kind of looked, you could tell that there was a little burn spot up in the attic area. It had been struck by lightning. And caught fire. But driving by the house is kind of like, doesn't seem that bad. Doesn't seem, you know, what's the problem with it? Next thing you know, they've torn it down. And they're building a new one. Well, the outside of the house looked pretty good, but the inside was all burned out. It was, it was a 
It was a, you know, it was a, wasn't worth trying to fix. Wasn't even worth gutting and rebuilding on the inside. Same way, integrity means a person's life is not just looking good from the outside. And also, it doesn't mean it's looking good on the inside necessarily. It means what's on the inside is true to what's what's on the outside is true to what's on the inside. A work in progress. That you can work with. When a person's life implodes or, or is rotted out or burned out from the inside, it's in the same way that, in, it, it, that it's lacking integrity. Integrity in a person's life is what a man must embody. And these vital signs are reminders of the work that God does in a person's life from the inside out. How about you? I mean, how often does it happen that when, you know, when the phone rings, it's like, kids, if I have to tell you, I don't know. Hello. How are you? Everything's great here. Have you, have you had to threaten your kids to behave differently at church than how they do at home? Because that's God's house. Those who are being shaped for leadership are the same through and through. They're out there, Jerry. Right? So without arriving at really whether this verse 11 is talking about wives or deaconesses or, or, or women in the church, the second challenge we see here is that we should measure women's ministry also by their integrity. It says their wives likewise must be dignified. Not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Just honestly, I land on that this is talking about the ministry of women as well. And I can explain that to you later. But women in the church must be dignified. And he, and he specifically says not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful. To be sober-minded means reasonable. Not carried away by emotions. Full of faith. Not giving in to anxieties or doubts. They're not to be slanderers. Uh, the NIV translates as malicious talkers. Or the New American Standard says malicious gossips. This is an important vital sign of maturity of women in the body of Christ. The, the term here is actually, for slander, is diabolos. And, and if you're familiar with Spanish, in, in Spanish, diabolos is, means the same as it does in Greek, a devil. And the reason for that is because the devil's main tool, main weapon is slander. Slander to our minds, doubting God's truth. Slandering the believer to, God's, to God in his presence. The mature woman is not to be a she-devil, literally, concerning how she talks about others. I grew up in the South, okay? When somebody says, oh, bless your heart, they are not being kind to you. And they're saying a lot worse things about you after you leave. And it's a sad fact of the unregenerated, unredeemed South. And integrity with her words is what a woman must pursue. A woman speaks about 20,000 words a day compared to the 7,000 words that a man speaks. Ladies, God knows that you've been 
you need to keep a guard on your words. You use so many of them. And if you fi- you'll find yourself doing the very work of the devil among God's people is what he's saying here. And what's worse, you won't even realize and think you're doing God's work. That happens. And the very people or the things that you may be concerned with about, about harvest or, or, or your, your family could be harmed by God's enemy with your quote-unquote harmless words. I'll tell you something. It's interesting. I, I picture here for Timothy that Paul is saying, Timothy, this, this needs to be your standard with your deacons and with the women in the church that are doing ministry. And, and Timothy's like, and he's like, I'm hearing things. I'm hearing things from them. I'm hearing things from other people. And Timothy's like, really? They, they don't say that to me. I mean, I, I don't get that from them. Timothy, they're saying it. And they need to know that that's not acceptable. I want to tell you, as a pastor, this goes back to being a youth pastor in, in, in different places. It's not, it's not just here at Harvest, but, but it's, it's consistently everywhere I've been at a Harvest. At Harvest, The greatest barrier to me having a healthy discussion with somebody, I'm not talking about convincing somebody. I'm talking about having a healthy discussion with somebody about the vision or direction of things or anything. I'm not talking about convincing them. The greatest barrier is not the movies they watch, the music they listen to, or the books they read. The greatest barrier is who they have been talking to. The greatest barrier to being able to have a constructive conversation across the board in church ministry is who they've been talking to inside the church. There's a reason why Paul narrows down to a deacon needs to not be double-tongued and a woman needs to not be a slanderer. It hampers what God wants to do. And I'm not saying that the pastor's idea is what God wants to do. But it hampers. Also, we see thirdly here, measure the benefits by the gospel. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing, he says, for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, Here again is where we see a progression that God has designed within the church of people carrying responsibility, carrying ministry, and possibly God saying that person should be a shepherd. And through deacon ministry, often I believe in the early church, they would build a good standing that doesn't mean like like oh look at me or look at them or oh i'm impressed by that it's just a part of that progression of leadership it says they should have a confidence in the faith the root word of confidence is confide when you confide in someone you confide in them because you have faith in them and it comes from the you can break that up con with and fide faith They have great faith. They have confidence in the faith. It's the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something, a firm trust. 
The benefits include here a great opportunity for being used by God in the gospel work. And it leads to greater opportunity to see God at work firsthand. And it leads to greater confidence in Christ and that it is changing people. And this builds a healthy spiritual momentum of growth in their lives. I encourage you to get involved in a ministry area of harvest. And I believe that it will build your faith as you see God work through your meager offerings. Just as I do. I remember one of the, the men, as he was praying about the possibility of being on the servant team, he was kind of like, ah, I'm not sure. It's, it's, he said, but you know what? As I prayed about it, what I kept hearing God say is, if you don't step up to the plate, you'll never hit the ball. So God kept telling me, step up to the plate. And it's been great to see God use him and God grow his faith. And God see him step out in faith in, in many areas. You know, I heard a, a really sad um, commentary on, on a one city's uh, civil servants. And it was that the people were calling for a law that required their police were wearing uh, body cameras. They were calling for an ordinance that would require all city officials to wear body cameras because the corruption was so bad. You know, you go in to get a permit, and it's like, well, that permit's going to cost you twice as much as it's going to cost somebody else, you know. And they're like, can we please have all of our city officials wear body cameras because we, we need some sort of way to catch them. It was, it's a lack of integrity. Isn't it so sad when we see integrity going by the wayside in our culture? And, and we're challenged as, as leadership and we're challenged as people of harvest in this vital sign that we should be checking on ourselves. Do I have integrity? I might be looking great on the outside, but how's my heart? Is it pumping well? Do I have integrity? Am I the same on the inside as I'm out on the outside? And any teacher that's telling us all that matters is the outside, all that matters is what you do, run. Run. I love this quote. The best leader is one that after a job is done, the people he's led can say, we did it ourselves. Because another one of my favorite sayings is, is there's no limit to the impact that one person can make as long as he doesn't care who gets the credit. And that's what it means to lead, to be a servant leader, to serve others as they have the opportunity to experience the faithfulness of Christ to experience the power of the gospel in people's lives, to experience people being, being moving and growing closer to the Lord because they were served. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing to be a part of. Let's bow our heads. Father, I, I just thank you so much for making the body of Christ the way that you have. That we're, we're made up of so many different body parts with different jobs to do and different um, gifts. And, and um, some are more outward and some are more behind the scenes. 
Father, I pray that for all of us, whether we're carrying ministry responsibility or not, I pray, Lord God, that we would be checking our own vitals, Father, to see where we have greater attention to, where, where we're concerned with. Is it, is it just the outside? Is it just the exterior? Or are we excited to see that you're working from within us, changing our hearts, changing our desires? Lord God, thank you for being faithful to your truth. Thank you, Lord, so much that we can come back to these truths 2,000 years after they were written and they're just as true today. You're so good, Father. I pray, Lord God, that you continue to bless us as a body as we move forward together. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.